Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman. And I'm Rachel Yehuda. And we're both from Yeshiva Chovavei Torah Rabbinical School. And every week we explore an aspect of psychology based on the Torah portion of the week. So this week, we're in the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus. The chapter is called Beshalach, and it's the story of the Hebrew people leaving the land of Egypt. And what's so striking is this is a story of unspeakable triumph. This slave nation has upset the ruling order. The all-powerful Pharaoh has let them go. And now, can you believe it, they start complaining. Yes, and maybe you want to give us a flavor of some Okay, of there's lots of complaining, but here it is in verse 1411. And they said to Moses, was it because of an absence, none, of graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What is this that you've done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Isn't this the thing we spoke to you in Egypt saying, stop from us and let's serve Egypt because serving Egypt is better for us than our dying in the wilderness. Boy, I think this is a really human response. I think, um, again, when you think about what the children of Israel have been through. And again, they're, they're on a journey. They don't know what the ending is. And they've also had tremendous jubilation. The same people just moments before, or verses before, as time is eclipsed in the text, were singing the song of the sea. And Moses' sister Miriam was dancing. And here they are complaining, just as you said. The intensity is so great. Well, you know, and in some way, the complaining might have been in response to the jubilation because I think that there are so many uh, different emotions that are being imposed on the children of Israel and what is their core feeling. And this is exactly something that you talked about just last week, that until now, we haven't heard what the people are feeling. It's all been about the leaders and it's all been about the machinations of the leaders, what's going right. on at the top. But here in Bishalach, we hear all about the people celebrating and them getting angry, frustrated, grumbly, complaining, petty, terrified, all the emotions of the people. Maybe they have some ambivalence about the celebration. Um, maybe they have some very ambivalent feelings about the whole experience. And um, the way that they would be com not complaining would be to have complete recall of how awful it was in Egypt. And anything would be better than that. But that's not where they're at. And it's a very interesting um, exploration of the psychology of people about uh, what happens when you're anxious about your future, that even a negative past might be preferable to the uncertainty of the future. And maybe also they're reacting to the things that just happened that they have some uh, feelings about that, haven't, that cannot be fully expressed by singing songs of praise to this pretty scary God. They have just benefited from this God, but now they might be a little scared too. And what do they have to do to keep receiving the grace of God? It's just unclear. And so the go-to reaction here 
is, what, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Right, and then they're going to complain about the food that they had back in Egypt. And I think this is something that we see very understandably in refugees and immigrants, even people who immigrate not in situations of dire straits, but they're looking for a better life, and certainly people who come from difficult situations, even though where they're going to promises better opportunities economically, religiously, education, futures for their children, they know that the generation that left is really never going to be fully at home, is never fully going to make it. It's going to be tied to what they knew. Yes, and the generation that leaves often does face some uh, regrets about that. They might sometimes wonder whether they should have left, whether they were better off where they were. It's hard to be an immigrant. It's very hard. And it's very hard to be in the desert and on a journey. And you know, when you talk about complaining about the food, which might, might be a universal thing, might be a uniquely Jewish thing. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. But they were getting food, that, but they weren't getting the kind of food that they were used to getting. They were getting the manna from heaven, which required great faith that every day a new portion of this manna would arrive. I think what they were complaining about was the lack of agency that they were experiencing in being able to procure food, to save and plan, to do food their way. Even a slave people can make choices. And yes. here, there is no choice. The manna is going to fall. It's going to taste the way it's going to taste. Coriander and honey taste as sounds pretty good as the Bible describes it. But they're not choosing what they're going to be eating. Yes, and I think that this is enormously difficult for them. So if we're wondering how the children of Israel felt after all the things that were going on and all the miracles and the heroism and the big actions on their behalf, were they grateful? I don't know, maybe a little, but they were also very, very ambivalent about change. Right, and even societies, even groups that are not immigrants, that are not leaving their homeland, but groups that are, let's say, advocating for change, usually, like the protest movements, usually have a better time, a more successful time, I should say, rallying people against the oppressors. It's much harder to create a positive identity about what you're aspiring to. In other words, you can unite a community around difficulty, around leaving what was bad. It's much harder to unite around entering. The old expression, it's easier to leave, it's harder to enter. Because entering requires forming, especially for this nascent Hebrew people, a new adult, independent, self-directed, positive identity. Well, it also requires something that the children of Israel have not had a lot of experience with, which is planning for the future. Right. And accepting a leadership that comes from within. Right. So I feel bad for poor Moses uh, because, again, his worst fears are that the children of Israel will not be accepting him as a leader. And one can look at complaints as lack of gratitude for all that Moses has done or tried to do for them. But in a funny way, it's also some sign that the children of Israel are accepting Moses. 
uh, as one of them because and, they're feeling comfortable enough right. to complain. And I think that we can really talk about that also in terms of our pastoral training for rabbis because a lot of times rabbis think that they're making a mistake when people complain to them. Um, but therapists know that when a patient starts to really complain to you and even about you, that is the beginning of really being able to have a trusting relationship where you can work things through and begin to solve problems together. A nation that doesn't complain to you, a nation that feels too intimidated and threatened by you, is not a safe situation for either the people or the leaders. So we know that there was gratitude because we heard about it a few verses before. But that doesn't mean that there are no complaints either. And so for a leader to be able to hear the complaint and deal with the complaint without feeling annihilated or like a failure is a very, very important um, step for the leader. For the people, it's potentially important part of achieving safety with one another. And this struggle goes back and forth because towards the end of this portion, the people complain again about water. And this is the story of Moses hitting the rock and water comes out of it. But then the text ends, this portion ends, with the story of the war with Amalek. Amalek being a nation that is kind of all badness, a kind of core evil that attacks the vulnerable in the middle of the desert. And the end of the portion is Moses battling with them. And this is a uniting experience because Moses and his second in command, Joshua, fight against the Amalekite nation. And so it says that Moses, Aaron, and let's say Joshua go up to the hilltop and Moses will lift his hand this is in verse 17, kind of 11. Um, and when it was when Moses would lift his hand, then Israel would predominate. And when he would rest his hand, then Amalek would predominate. And ultimately, at the end, it says, and Joshua defeated Amalek and his people by the sword. You know, I love this story, Michelle, because I think it, it really um, is about life. And just because you have survived one adversity and been saved from it doesn't mean that there's not more adversity down the road. And what a leader needs to do is somehow model how to keep going from adversity to adversity. And I agree with you that it is uniting to be able to have a strategy. No one ever said, we'll take you out of Egypt and you'll live happily ever after like the fairy tales say. They complain, it's legitimate, there is adversity, we're going to handle it, we're going to handle it together with a strategy. You know, unfortunately, surviving one massive adversity doesn't really guarantee a life free from adversity. What this fledgling people needs to learn is that adversity is never over, that they need to dig within themselves, they need to develop new skills, new resilience, of how to handle things going forward. That the leader is not gonna take care of them. That being a free people means that they're going to have to solve things themselves. And what we do as therapists is actually kind of the same thing. How do you know when a therapy is over? When you feel that the person, the patient, the client, whatever, has internalized the strategies, has done the work, can now him or herself face 
new problems with better strategies, can identify, oh yeah, this is how I used to do it, but now I have a wider repertoire of possibilities. So when the war with Amalek comes about, here we have a situation where Moses does a number of powerful leadership things. He brings in other people. It's not just him alone doing it. He brings in Aaron, he brings in Joshua. The people have to fight. The people are fighting below. And so it's a unified effort to defeat a common enemy. Thanks for listening to the Pastoral Parsha with Dr. Michelle Friedman and Dr. Rachel Yehuda. This podcast is brought to you by Shivat Chovavei Torah. To learn more, visit yctorah.org.